0: And welcome to Stargate SG Fun, a podcast where we talk about Stargate, the original series, giving more attention and time to the ones we think are important and interesting and skimming past some of the other episodes. I'm Trishy Mattson.
1: I'm Andrew Patias. And I'm David Schaub.
0: And today we're going to start off talking very, very briefly about Tin Man.
1: Tin Man was that great episode with Tam Elbron befriending Data, right? (laughs) (laughs) Different show.
0: That would be a different episode. The title does pretty much give away the plot. SG-1 goes to a planet which has some high tech they don't recognize. They all get knocked out. A weird laughing man greets them, come try ya, and says, as they're all wonderful specimens, but you're also much better, stronger, and smarter now. They dial home, despite his protests. We find out that General Hammond has some granddaughters. Very nice. And that's because Jack is trying to prove he is not an imposter, despite actually being an android. Eventually, the team collapses, gets sent back to the planet, and it turns out that they are duplicates, not transferred consciousnesses. They're weirded out by their doubles. Sam and Sam, too, enjoy geeking out together real jack is concerned about security and robot jack promises they'll bury the gate and the human team and teal go home the end
2: i got so sick of come <laughs> oh god like this is what fate i'm you know but for robots it's just uh yeah you know what i don't really need to say anymore more about it it was annoying you know they had the chance to do this you know the thing where like you know jack meets jack characters meet themselves and they just didn't Give them anything interesting for them to do with each other. So, yeah. And their idea of high-tech planets is like warehouses full of industrial parts. So, yeah. Maybe I'll just
1: go watch the Star Trek episode again. I really liked that one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So much for Tin Man. Moving on to a really interesting episode. There but for the grace of God. David, take it away.
1: SG-1 travels to P3R233, apparently a prop warehouse. (laughs) Jackson falls through the looking glass into It's a Wonderful Life, where Apophis is independent-staying Earth. <laughs> With Carter's help, Jackson realizes that he is in an alternate reality where almost everyone's job has changed. Jackson translates a radio message from P3R233, a gaoled gate address McGuffin. After SGA nukes Chulak, Teal'c leads an army to take the Stargate. O'Neill surrenders himself to Teal'c, gives him a video presentation, and delays him before being shot. Jackson gates back to P-3R-233 conveniently alone and mirrors back to his reality. They're coming.
0: Okay, so this is a really fun episode for seeing the slightly different ways that reality gets tweaked. For example, Samantha Carter is not military in this episode. She is Dr. Carter, still a brilliant scientist, but, you know, with long hair and stuff. And engaged to Jack, who is General Jack O'Neill, the commander of the Stargate program, and apparently the leader of the defense of Earth. Of
1: what there is. (laughs)
0: Right. Catherine Langford is still in charge of at least the science part of the Stargate program. And the Daniel of this Earth blew her off when she invited him to join the team. Yeah,
2: which you can totally see, right? I mean, he basically tried to blow her off in the movie, too, but was a little bit too desperate. But yeah, yeah.
1: I enjoyed the setup here. And and yeah, I like how that's the prime thing that changed. Now, what they don't say is all of the ramifications of that. My assumption is that, of course, Jackson wasn't there to go to Abydos. And Jack, therefore, just nuked the place. Nuked it, right. Mm -hmm. And he came back and kept the job. And then he became in control of it. Right. And therefore kept Catherine on. So I think a lot of it actually flows quite nicely Mm -hmm. from that choice of Jackson not being there because it does kind of become a, it's a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. Whereas we see how badly it would have gone had Jackson not gone to Abydos.
0: Yeah, and I don't recall if they explicitly said that, but I think it was meant to be inferred. Yeah, yeah. that That's basically the setup.
2: They definitely didn't say it, but it follows. Right, and, and for a show which is not often particularly subtle, letting that be something that is just inferred and in the background rather than something that they highlight was, yeah, it was a nice touch.
1: Though it is always funny, the economy of actors in Mirror Mirror episodes when it's all the same actors <laughs> just doing yeah. slightly different roles. Always, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, well. But it's a small
2: change for a Mirror Mirror Universe episode. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, and a lot of stuff had to stay the same. Like, if the SGC codes had not stayed the same, Jackson would have gone splat.
0: Yeah, it's really dubious that the remote <laughs> device would have the same code.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the numbers are exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like this episode. It's probably not objectively the best episode, but I think it's currently my favorite of season one because it's, it's the non-O'Neill episode exception that proves the rule so we've seen teal centric episodes and carter centric episodes and this is the daniel centric episode of, of season one and while those other episodes weren't really that you know we kind of like parts of them, we didn't necessarily like them as a whole i think this one really works and it's because we get that intense bewildered daniel for like most of the running time like he's just on high the entire time and again i think he does that well i think that actor does that that well mm-hmm. like he gets to be bewildered and And frustrated. And it's great because it's totally in character. Like, why would anyone be this oblivious? He's totally clueless about what's going on in this episode for so long. And like, is that realistic? Yes, it's Daniel. He's totally in character for him to be (laughs) completely clueless for for that whole time.
0: Yeah, he eventually vaguely remembers some astrophysics course he had in college, but uh, he obviously has to dig deep way back to, you know, before he even got to grad school. for Probably something that he had to take in order to graduate. Um. (laughs) Yeah, one thing I liked about it was... That the writers, I think, did a good job of explaining alternate universes without belaboring the point. Going for the, you know, their audience, some of them are longtime science fiction fans, but some of the Stargate 1 audience followed... MacGyver over (laughs) to his new series. Right. And so they do have to handhold a little bit, but I think they did a good job in this episode of explaining alternate universes without making me roll my eyes too much. They
2: waited a while for for Carter to explain it. So you got this tension of Jackson just being clueless and clueless and clueless until they explain it. Again, the suspense was pretty nicely done in this episode. The pace of reveals was pretty nice.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I think it was a nice job too of explaining, you know, it's not that they're all just mean <laughs> on this planet, you know, it's not quite like the <laughs> Star Trek uh, Prime universe. They are all under a huge amount of pressure because they're under attack yep, and yep bombardment and cities vanishing from the face of the earth so of course they're not going to have a lot of time to spend on this crazy i guy.
1: also really quite like jackson in this episode i don't quite understand now when he needs to wear his glasses and when he doesn't but <laughs> the more exasperated he is the less he's wearing his glasses it's kind of funny <laughs> yeah,
2: that, that's pretty much it. Yeah. he just yeah.
1: yells at people and they take it pretty well <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: But it comes off really honestly. I, I really quite liked the acting job there. The one thing that occurred to me, given one of the previous episodes we watched, is they believed Jackson and his story pretty quickly, considering how much they didn't believe Hathor. Yeah. Mm. <laughs>
0: like,
1: for some reason, the Hathor story was ridiculous, but Jackson okay, you're
2: it. <laughs> well he's so earnest, you see. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose.
0: And he has all those personal details. Um, I did like the touch of Daniel reminding Catherine of Ernest, <laughs> the man she was supposed to marry in 1945, and she's totally taken aback. Right. Yep. Uh, obviously, she hasn't thought about him in 50 years, but that starts her down the path of yep. maybe this guy is not just crazy. And then he reminds Jack about Jack's son's fatal gun accident with Jack's own gun, and you know, that I love when things come up later in a series. Not that either of those were trivial events, but that they bring them back again and make them important to the story again. I just liked those details.
2: And it's one bit from, a move from the movie and one bit from the show. It's showing how they're synthesizing it all and putting it together in, in one story. Mm-hmm. I did, absolutely loved it. I did think, we had talked in the episode about Catherine and Ernest, that it didn't really feel like they actually got together at the end, and I kind of assumed that they had. And I think one reason I assumed that they had actually gotten together was because of this episode where Jackson says, oh no, I, we got you back together or something. and But you didn't. You really didn't. You got them both in the same place, but you didn't like get them to fall in love again. Mm-hmm. And yet this episode kind of simplifies that story, and I think that's why I thought it was that simplest story
1: jackson also knows what happened after that episode so it's possible they did get back together we just didn't see it
2: yeah yeah Sure. Or maybe we got
1: them back together as friends. Also possible.
2: That's true. Yeah, it it might have just been a shorthand way of saying it. And, you know, we get to see that actress again, who, again, I think she's great. So it's good to see her as part of the show again here, even if it's just for a little while and she dies.
1: I would have liked had they made some reference to Ra also being above the planet, because my theory also is that when Jack nuked Abydos, it didn't kill Ra. Therefore, the reason why they were already there is Ra knew what was up and Got the gold to start moving sooner, hence the time difference. Oh, sooner.
0: Ooh, yeah. Right. Well, in this episode, in this alternate universe, it may be all Ra leading this thing since um, they've never been to Chulak. And so they haven't really made a personal enemy of Apophis. Well,
1: yeah. Well, except Tilk. Tilk, Teal,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, that's true. Okay. Hmm.
1: That's why they needed it to still be a up office. But it would have been nice to have a reference to Raw, just to make it clear that that was one of the differences. But it's not necessary. The Teal'c stuff is strange in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's got a different hairdo. That's how you know it's a different reality. They couldn't give him a
0: beard. <laughs> that would have been too on the nose. <laughs> well, I did really like the,
2: uh, before we get to, to Teal'c, the bits before that where they're conveying that most of the Earth has been bombarded and the you know Cheyenne Mountain is under attack. I really loved the low-tech Ways that they did it in this episode, and of course, it's to save money. Of course, but I just thought it was really effective. You know, the, all you get to see is these red dots on a map, mm-hmm. and that just lets you imagine what it's like to have actually happened instead of them putting the usual rather cheap special effects they have in service of that thing. And then the pyramid ship descending on the mountain was great for me. Anyway, I really liked that moment because it was through this fuzzy, indistinct uh, black and white TV set, so they got to use mm-hmm. less than stellar graphics in a more ominous way because it looked realistic. To see that's low quality graphics being displayed. And, you know, they don't even show the whole ship. They just show the bit that's right on top of the mountain and the, the gliders right. circling. I, I just really love that, that bit.
0: Yeah. And the simplicity of Air Force One getting shot down. Yep. You yep. just see the blip disappear from the radar map.
2: Again, we're looking at, at circles in in really low res graphics. And yet mm-hmm. it's conveying the scene. It's, it, I really like to
1: use the technology you have
2: correctly. And they did. We have So Tilk shows up, right? And he's different. He's still the first prime of Apophis. I don't remember anymore if he had the gold symbol on his... I guess he always has the gold symbol on his forehead, right? Yep. Poor Christopher Judge still has to wear that makeup on his head to do mm-hmm. that. But yeah, he's leading the attack. And then O'Neill is heading up the base, and he does a whole bunch of things that I would think as the general in charge of the base, you would probably let your soldiers do for you. Like he blows the elevator, and he is on the front line of the fighting against the Jaffa when they come in. I did like that scene where the Jaffa are, are breaking through the door. That felt very Star Wars to me, like the very very much the beginning of uh, mm-hmm. the first Star Wars movie. Movie and then they have the you know these these firefights where members of the SGC finally die like we you know they almost never take casualties in the SGC because they're always um behind the gate but here they have to fight and and they're really pretty bad at it right like they don't really take cover they're about as bad at fighting as the Jaffa normally are which you know I guess they're uh, they're evenly matched
1: <laughs> spoilers everyone dies
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So they had several things that they could have done. Oh, yeah. They realized they can only get the gate open for a short amount of time before the Jaffa start coming through it. And so they have the options of sending a bomb to yeah. the coordinates that the Jack figured out was a Stargate coordinate. Or sending more evacuees through to a beta planet that they are colonizing as a refuge. Or letting Daniel go home and save his alternate universe. After a lot of passionate arguing and probably basically just seeing the hopelessness of this situation, they decide to let Daniel go through. So yeah, pretty much everyone on Earth is going to die.
1: In some of the scenes, they try and present it as being three choices, but there really are only two choices. Because if you leave the planet to the beta site, you also can get Daniel to go back to his place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah,
2: there, there is that.
1: I think other people would have gone with Daniel, except everyone was already dead at that point. Yeah. yeah. I think the writers knew that it really were two choice, only two choices there. sending the bomb to some random address where it might have worked or trying to escape and send Daniel back. But it it did kind of work both ways. I thought it was pretty funny that they were describing who they were sending, and they were sending the world leaders and scientists and doctors. And I was going, how about farmers and survivalists? (laughs) Obviously, it's the world leaders who are deciding you should send world leaders because you're going to need lots of politicians around if you only have 100 people on another planet.
0: (laughs) Oh, well. So Jack, as you said, shows video evidence that was on Daniel's camcorder that, hey, in this other universe, other Jack and other Teal'c were friends, and tries to use that to convince Teal'c to uh revolt, and says, hey, in this other world, you rebelled to save your people and your family, and Teal'c says, well... You sent a bomb through that killed my people and my family right here, right now. So he does not join in Jack's cause, also possibly because they are clearly not winning here and have no chance of winning. At the very end of the episode, well, nearly the very end, Daniel is about to go through the Stargate Teal'c appears, aims his staff weapon at Daniel, who runs up the ramp through the Stargate. Teal'c shoots him as he's jumping, but it's not a direct hit. So my question to you is: Did Teal'c mean to just make it look good, but let him escape, or did he just miss his shot?
2: Hmm. I would tend to want to believe that he, like, he doesn't know Daniel at all. Like, there's no reason for him to help him. I don't know. I, I could see it going either way.
1: O'Neill did succeed in his job of delaying Teal'c. So, I mean, it did work Mm. strategically, even though this O'Neill got presumably blasted by the cannon. And I have to say, boy, all their guns start looking really phallic after a while. But anyway, (laughs) this Jack is clearly blown away. And he's blown away specifically because he nuked Chulak. It's a nice bit where this Jack makes this decision and there is a consequence. The implication to me is... Teal'c would have changed his mind, except for that one thing. That was the step too far, and therefore, I don't think Teal'c really gives them time of day because of that. I think I like how they deal with Teal'c in that point, is they might have been able to turn him, but they nuke someone's family. And you shouldn't do that if you want to try and become friends with them. So I thought it worked really well. <laughs> I, I thought it was funny with the camera. The couple thoughts I had was, one— why in the world didn't Jackson lead with the camera footage? <laughs> it would have fed up a lot of earlier conversations. <laughs>
0: I think he probably just didn't think of it. I expect you know, he, he
1: didn't. I really quite liked when we saw the footage earlier and Carter responds to watching herself from another reality. I think that was a really nice thing. Yeah. Which I don't think we've often seen mm-hmm. in Mirror Mirror episodes, having some footage cross between them. Having some proof, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was a really a nice little thing. The MacGuffin I thought that was ridiculous was he mentions 233 and they happen to have a message from 233 being recorded. And that is <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> the suspension of disbelief was, was challenging there that <laughs> the one thing that comes from all of this is a magical gate address that they need for a later episode. Right. <laughs> but hey... They needed to do it.
2: That should have also come to the regular Earth. And well, one thing about that civilization is I remember in our earlier episode, David, you had mentioned how the fact that we might be killing a lot of visitors by having the iris on our gate. Mm-hmm. And and I believe I said, well, there probably isn't a whole lot of traffic. But this civilization was exploring, mm-hmm. just like the Stargate program is exploring. So they said they, they were wiped out a while ago, but they've been doing it in the present day. Our iris might have killed a bunch of them. So, oh well.
0: Right, well, there wasn't dust covering everything in the museum, so it can't have been years and years. Uh, Unless they have very good air filtration (laughs) systems still running.
1: Let's say they did. It felt like a while. I don't quite know, like, is that a place where they can go back to? They they have this thing where this planet has been laid waste to. We have to leave. But I think the probe actually checks for radiation. So they probably knew how much radiation there was. Mm. I don't know if we're going to go back there. It's a challenge now that there is basically that mirror sitting there, even though, in theory, the one reality it was pointing to has uh, been nuked. But it's still fine on that planet. And they
2: also lost the control device because Samantha was holding it when she was killed
1: right so samantha is always good with a grenade in this show every time samantha touches a (laughs) grenade she gets stuff done (laughs) i thought it was a bit strange that do you need that remote she goes to get the remote i was going why does she have to get the remote what is what is this writing and then they have the situation where she pretends she's going to turn just to uh blow up a whole pile of the serpent guard yeah
0: right right i'm going to die but i'll take a bunch of you with me well
1: it was a delay tactic too
0: I did crack up at the beginning of the episode when Daniel is, of course, enthralled to see this yep. museum of artifacts that they've been collecting from other places. Tagged exhibits, yeah. And Jack says, okay, we got to go. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Just start stuffing stuff into his backpack. <laughs> he,
2: he didn't keep any of them, right? Because he came back without his, his backpack. But yeah, it's too bad. Yeah, I like to like, you know, he's seeing the results of someone else's investigations in the same way that he's been investigating cultures right it's too bad that they didn't that they were they were okay but it it is kind of interesting to see him finally get to see another culture like like his or another mindset like his
1: nothing's stopping them from going back to 233 again
2: I, yeah. We'll see. Yep.
1: For Stargate Science, the show is now being very consistent that they do always use seven symbols on the DHD devices. And they're very clear that every DHD device seems to have exactly the same symbols, except for the origin symbol, which seems like a waste of a button and doesn't really make sense. But they're being consistent across these recent episodes. So I'm just going to run <laughs> with it. Yep. Is this the first time we have a reference to the 30 minute wormhole connection limit?
2: It might be I mean they've always have they have they actually had a, a plot reason to mention anything like that in the past well they've had the bombing of the of the iris in like was it the enemy within and there were a certain number of bombs that came through and then maybe people that came through and then it stopped but I don't think that was ever like thirty minutes but it might have been they never
1: told us the time of how long it was open
2: and of course the Google might not have been you know using every second of that time period to send through bombs they might have just assumed they could send through a couple and then be done with it so just do you remember if there's a, been another reference to it?
0: I think there have been a couple of episodes where they say we'll open the gate every day at whatever p.m. at a set time instead of just leaving the gate open all the time. But I don't think that they've mentioned it as a specific time limit. Yeah. I could be wrong.
1: And I did like the the canon of until the seventh chevron is locked and incoming normal gets precedence. Yep. Yeah. That is a a nice bit of uh, world building there. That seems to be pretty clean. Yep. They have a gate address only by numbers, and they basically make some guesses about how to actually dial it. I find it unlikely that they would get that right the first time, given that you have two concentric circles and you have to figure out how that's supposed to be numbered. <laughs> you can guess,
2: but eh, we'll see if your guess is right. No, it's it's per what it's per the order in the in on the gate itself. Oh, it's the gate itself, not the DHD. Remember, you said it. We have the you have the numbers. I have video of the gate to show what the symbols are. Okay, they happen to make sense that time. So yeah,
1: and then you can then. And you could go from the origin there.
2: <laughs> yep. Yep. Right. Nope. Nope. That's that's right. That makes way more sense. Although again, it, it does mean that they had to get a signal from that planet <laughs> through deep space, and yeah, which is the part that doesn't make a whole lot of sense.
1: But yeah. well, it would eventually get there. But that suggests they it sent a long time ago.
2: Right. So that's why I thought that that civilization must have been destroyed a while ago. The bit where the choice from O'Neill to destroy the planet comes back on him and, and causes bad things to happen. You know, that's something they wouldn't really be able to do in the regular show because the regular show is generally kind of light and, you know, not really grim. So the right decision tends to get made by the good guys most of the time when something really bad would happen as a result. And so we don't really see the scenario very often. And again, they took advantage of the alternate reality scenario to, to do all those things that they can't normally do. And uh, I liked it. mm mm-hmm.
1: This is the O'Neill who really likes nuking things.
0: (laughs) He likes the simple solutions.
1: I I did kind of want uh, a deleted scene where we see O'Neill spending five minutes trying to figure out how to plug the 90s camcorder into the NEC monitor. (laughs) Uh, There's sort of that time before you can do the presentation where you have to keep getting your equipment working. And I really would have liked to have seen that while Teal'c watches. I think that would have been just great. Uh,
2: I don't think (laughs) you really mean that, actually. (laughs) uh, (laughs) It would have been funny. (laughs) (laughs) They don't get a whole lot of humor in this episode, but like the humor you get is from uh, Daniel having these reactions to things, right? Because everyone else is deadly serious, but he still gets to have a a few kind of funny lines or funny reactions to things. You know, oh, oh, I think I'm dead was was one of them that made me laugh.
1: A very existential crisis problem for uh, Jackson. There, I did like the video shot right before O'Neill dies. They want to really bump up the intensity, so they basically do a dolly zoom on his face. Except I'm pretty sure it's handheld because it's really shaky. Yeah. <laughs> As they zoom in on his face while blowing out the aperture, and I guess he gets nuked. Oh well.
2: This show does occasionally be like, no, we're going to try to do a, a fancier shot here, and uh, sometimes it works, <laughs> sometimes it doesn't. But you know, they do spiraling shots sometimes. They do, they do, they do some. You know, there's maybe like one either every episode or every couple episodes where they, they get a little fancy. And I appreciate it when it works.
1: And I do give them points also for being consistent with the use of the auto-destruct, since, of course, the last thing that happens in the horrible alternate dimension is the entire SGC blows yep. up, or in this case, SGA, I
0: think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, just the moment when Jack is leaving to go on his delaying mission with Teal'c, and he and Samantha hug goodbye. Daniel has a very (laughs) bemused expression on his face, which I thought was kind of weird. I mean, okay, so Catherine says, I guess in your universe, they're not engaged. But I mean, people can hug goodbye if they're not engaged, and it just seemed a little odd to me. Was there a chaste kiss?
1: I don't know if there was. They needed a strong reaction from Jackson to bring out the explanation. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah.
2: If this had been any other show, there would have been like a passionate kiss, right? Because they were actually, you know, involved. Yeah, right. And they couldn't quite do that on this show, it seems, but yeah. So maybe like in the Stargate world, a friendly hugging is so shockingly risque (laughs) that Jackson was just scandalized by it. (laughs) Again, I really liked it. You know, you guys seem to be positively inclined toward it. I don't know where you'd put it, sort of ranking in in order, but it's really pretty high for me.
1: It's it's definitely upper half. I have to double check my ranking, but it's definitely upper half. It's a good
2: episode. It's worth watching. Okay.
0: Yeah, I haven't done a ranking but uh, certainly in the upper half (laughs) i mean
2: i think this is the one i wouldn't say secondary character but you know non o'neill character centric episode of the show that works this is definitely the one that works the best anyway of all the ones we've seen in in the first season
1: so someone else is going to have to tell me what happened in politics because
2: i don't quite understand the shift because i skipped that episode yep and you were right too it was still it was still the right decision but this is probably the most plot Important episode we've told you to skip <laughs> because uh, this is actually uh, built, and at least in the and the websites that I looked at, as the first part of a three-parter. Right, so it's it politics, and then within the Serpent's Grasp, it's the season finale, and then the season two premiere in the Serpent's Lair. They're all listed as being part of a three-part series of episodes. And of course, we're going to talk about Within the Serpent's Grasp today. We're not going to talk about season until, until later. But yeah, if you guys are ready, I'm going to kind of go into my synopsis. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a shallow dive, but it's going to be longer than than usual because, again, I think there's a lot of interesting things going on.
0: A lot of things happen, and I will have a few things to say about it. So there are some good lines and things. For me, it's also the most conceptually interesting
2: bad episode of the first season. <laughs> 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 There's a lot of really, really interesting metagaming going on that I that I want to be sure that I get to. So yeah, so first and foremost, it's a clip show. And it's the only clip show in season one. And it guest stars Ronnie Cox, who is probably best known to genre fans as Dick Jones in Robocop. Uh, but he's also been a lot of other movies as well. And he's also a musician, apparently. Here he's playing Senator Kinsey, chairman of the Appropriations Committee, who has become interested in the Stargate program when he saw a $7.4 billion line item in the budget called Area 52. And that's me holding up fingers to do finger quotes, Area 52. I thought that was actually a nice little touch. <laughs> Red right into the program, he's decided to stop funding it, but is willing to hold a final hearing, conveniently located in the SGC, in order to be able to reuse sets to give SG one a chance to change his mind.
0: I mean, really, they could have said it was a conference room in DC that the team <laughs> yeah. had flown to, and we wouldn't have known any different.
2: No, we're gonna we're gonna have the same sets. We're just never gonna do other sets. <laughs> <laughs> So the clips come in when they're talking about those specific missions. So it's not just a repeat for the sake of, of a repeat. It's not just an out-of-the-blue review of, of what happened previously. So the clips don't even start until about a third of the way into the episode. There's other scenes that happen first. Now, so the main part of the show is Senator Kinsey arguing with SG-1 back and forth about whether his desire to shut down the starter program is a good idea or not. and What's funny is that a lot of Senator Kenzie's arguments come out of the fundamental structure of the show. He says that the team has brought danger to Earth, and they totally have. They brought what (laughs) malicious nanobots, they brought back a disease, they brought back a bomb. And of course, they needed to do this to have drama in the show. So they're using all the drama and plot of the show that they've been doing to have interesting episodes as an impetus for more drama and plot. I really like that. He also says the story isn't necessary because the team has won all of their confrontations with the Ghoul, which is, again, brilliant because, of course, if the good guys hadn't won each time, the Earth would be destroyed, everything would go bad. So the good guys have to keep winning, but then he gets to turn that around against the team. So I I thought those aspects of it were really good metagaming.
0: Right. If you keep winning like this, how tough can those Ghouls
2: be? (laughs) Right. Not necessarily the most interesting in terms of the logic itself, but in terms of the metagaming, I really liked how they turned it on itself. But... Those are the good aspects of this episode, but the negative aspects-
1: Yeah, at the moment, it sounds like maybe I should have watched it, so-
2: (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, yeah, keep listening. (laughs) So Senator Kinsey has to not be convinced by FG1's arguments, because the whole point of this episode is the gate program gets shut down. But they have some valid arguments, you know, saying the gold could come in ships that would bomb humanity from high in orbit is valid. It's it's a real threat, but Kinsey can't accept it in order for this episode to end the way they want it to. So they they have him reject it by, in the end, being something of a straight-up villain. He's basically doing everything but twirling his mustache at the end here.
0: Well, I I would disagree with that characterization. I think he ends up being kind of an arrogant religious fanatic and USA fanatic. He says, God won't let that happen. Yeah, Which... Is a poor basis for governing.
2: <laughs> and I would have said that was a very unrealistic thing for a politician to say, except that <laughs> we're actually hearing it. So we don't normally bring up contemporary events in this podcast, and we won't. But we are recording this during the pandemic of 2020. And there have been real-life politicians who, not wanting to address the pandemic, have said, God will save us from it. Like, this is specifically a thing that's happened in real life now. So I can't say, oh, this that's just, you know ridiculous that he would ever say that because it's happened in real life. But it's still not all that pleasant to watch, right? It's still not... A lot of fun, and so I think his arguments are not as much fun as they could be. Also, the clips themselves are not used as well as they could have been. Like the idea of using the clips to buttress these arguments, pro and for and against. I and I like it, but what they what they did instead was they took these scenes, often very melodramatic scenes, and they kind of played them to their fullest extent. They finished the scene instead of just showing little bits of it, and that's something you do in a regular clip show because you want to basically take the, the meat of your episode from other episodes' powerful scenes. But here, when they're supposed to be being used solely to uh, support arguments. It drags it down. It, it takes it away from the actual plot that the episode was supposed to have. And so, you know, the last maybe third the episode is just this whole mess of, of unrelated scenes being thrown together, not necessarily very well for the sake of this argument. So the whole thing kind of falls apart at the end. Again, it's not really worth watching. But one of the clips that I wanted to mention was there's actually a scene from the movie. Now, they couldn't show any shots of the actors, because the actors are all different, but they showed a a scene from Raj's ship, his pyramid ship landing, I think. And uh, I thought that was kind of fun to, again, kind of weave together the show and the movie in a way that I haven't necessarily seen other shows do as much as this show does. Again, I think it wound up being kind of a mess, but David, when coming into the next episode, hey, the program's been shut down. There's nothing we could do about it. This is trying to explain that. And it does part of a good job of doing that, but it can't stretch out the story to a full hour long length. Again, it kind of falls apart, but again, it's the best attempt at a clip show that I've probably ever seen in shows like this.
0: For the justification of
2: it. Yeah, yeah. And again, like, the first, like, mm-hmm. third of it is just a regular episode. It's just, it's kind of fun. The first scene is Jackson coming back and getting treated for his wound and arguing with his team about, yes, this really did happen. It wasn't a vision.
0: Once again, the uh, Stargate team in this universe is not good at believing stuff. Yeah, well, that's true, right? Yeah. Daniel, you just got a <laughs> knock on the head or something.
2: <laughs> One of the lines that O'Neill says in here, it's not that we don't believe you, it's just that we, we don't believe you. Ouch. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, another line that I like is when Senator Kenzie first sees the Stargate, which is obviously a big brown device, he says, and this must be the drain through which the money flows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I do think it is rather jarring at the end of There But For The Grace Of God. You expect, or I at least, watching <laughs> yeah. what happens, would expect okay, go, 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 we have to get on a war footing or go on a mission or something. Exactly. And instead, you have Daniel getting his wound dressed and being called crazy and telling people he's not crazy, repeatedly. And then you get into the whole hearing and clips show thing. So it feels very unnatural, although sometimes that can be a good thing to subvert expectations. Yeah. But yeah, it's really weird coming off there But for the grace and then getting bogged down in politics. So I think David, you may have had a more satisfying experience <laughs> going directly to within the serpent's grasp.
1: My understanding or my interpretation was more like the team believed Jackson but that report hit the Senate and the senator said, these people are loons. Yep. They need to be shut down.
0: He was already pretty firmly against yep. these people need to shut down before Daniel came out with his desperate argument. But you know, th- but that Although he was then even more free to call them, you people are crazy.
2: I think what you were saying, David, though, is is a perfectly valid way to connect the two episodes as well. It it doesn't matter that much the exact specifics of it. It's just they wanted to add more drama by having the SGC shut down right when this horrible threat is manifesting. And, you know, you don't really need politics to do that.
1: It always felt that SGC was sort of running the risk of this type of thing happening. It's a little tricky because the president isn't a character, but the president is always involved in these conversations. Yeah. That always makes it a little more challenging. Like, had the president shown up in politics— I don't know if they did or not. That would have been almost enough to make me want to watch it. I almost wonder whether politics needs a fan edit to really go for it and try and uh, tighten it into something that's more palatable. But oh well.
2: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, and it's like, uh, you know, the president is like a, a, an adult in a peanut special, right? He's always off screen. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> another fun moment is o'neill is trying to tweak kinsey and kinsey like everyone else on earth is calling them Goulds. and he's like oh, oh no that's not how you pronounce that it's got an apostrophe in it but then even then even then o'neill is not able to pronounce it correctly. he actually outsources it to carter <laughs> and says oh no they're pronounced and then he kind of looks at carter and carter says carter says go old which mm-hmm. is it go old or is it Gould? i thought it was Gould." Like goo, not go.
0: I think it's actually gold, but most people find goo old easier to
2: say. Well, yeah, I mean, that totally blows apart my whole thing of like, oh, I'm pronouncing it correctly when I'm still pronouncing it incorrectly this whole time. So, oh, well.
1: It's a pretend show. You can pronounce it however you like, and you can call that correct.
2: (laughs) It is a pretend show, but actually, this is one of the things that I found myself really enjoying. You know, you look at histories of the English language, and it is resistant to Mm -hmm. standardization. Like, people have been trying to make rules for the English language for hundreds of years, and we usually just route around them. So the idea that, again, there's maybe like one way to pronounce it, but everyone pronounces it this weird other way. And even when they're trying to correct other people, they pronounce it wrong or maybe right sometimes. I actually really love that as being one of the most realistic aspects of the show. <laughs> um, oddly enough
0: It's an inconsistency that <laughs> Contributes to the world building Actually in a funny way it, is, it really does,
2: I think so But yeah, that's. I think that's it for me for <laughs> politics
0: mm-hmm. Okay, David, tell us about Within the Serpent's Grasp
1: SGC is getting shut down. Darn, Senate. SG-1 decides to risk a court-martial to gate to the found Ga'uld gate address. The team discovers that they're on a ship now traveling to attack Earth. Jackson and Carter plant C-4 to blow up the ship as a contingency. Kilk and O'Neill capture the bridge and Chlorel, the Ga'uld possessing Skara. The Serpent Guards briefly capture Kilk and O'Neill before Carter and Jackson save them. But O'Neill has to shoot Skara. Geez, his gun is killing his new son, too. Unfortunately, they arrive at Earth, and there's another gold ship there, too. What do you think of it? I have issues with that O'Neill scene. (laughs) Having him have to shoot Skara, I have issues. But this is a fun episode. The timing in this episode. There are so many things that happen just at the right time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They space out the revelations They space out the things that you learn. Talking about these sorts of shows, these sort of episodic shows, a lot of whether I'm going to keep watching an episodic show like this is how well they're going to do their premieres and their finales of the show. Like, Can they take the heightened moments of these episodes and do right by them? And I think it does. It breaks the stasis that we've had for so many other episodes where, you know, we're going to planets, but we don't necessarily really learn too much or gain too much. Things don't change very much. Here things change a lot. Here we get introduced to a lot of new things. Mm -hmm. And I think they are, well... I'll start talking about the ships in a little bit. The ships are a fun case, but you know, so many, so many revelations about how things work and, and there's sort of humor in how discombobulating some of these things are to the team. They had a, a good balance of humor in this episode and, and suspense and uncertainty and character moments. Again, I just. I thought they stuck the landing for season one with this episode.
1: I would argue that they did as well, but really, I'm desperate to watch the next episode. I don't have to wait (laughs) for the next season for it to air. Well, have you watched it? No, I have not. Okay, okay. This is as far as I've watched, because this is as far as we're podcasting about it. Yeah, no, I, yeah. Now that we've podcast about it, I can go watch it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm really interested because, again, it's, it's been years and years since I was able to watch this with fresh eyes and not knowing everything that happens in the next episode. So I will be curious your thoughts about what's going on, what you think is happening, what you think has been told to us. Like, for example, I think the show puts a lot of effort into making us think there's only one ship and making us think that the team can handle there being one ship. Because if it's only one ship, you can blow it up. You can blow it up with with C four. If there's two ships, what's going to happen, right? So, did you think there was only one ship for the majority of this episode? The question
1: constantly going through the episode was, where's Apophis? Okay, good, good, good. Yep. And there's a line, and I'm going to quote this line because it makes no sense to me, which is, Apophis says, I will rejoin you as we come out of the shuttles.
2: What is a shuttles? (laughs) No, it's shadows. What was the word? When we come out of the shadows.
1: Oh, the shadows. That doesn't make any sense either. (laughs) I mean, at least it's a word that makes sense, but it doesn't actually help it anymore. It's, it's describing hyperspace in more
2: poetic terms. I, I actually liked it.
1: Okay, that that helps. That helps. I, that helps. I, the one problem I find with this show, with the copies on iTunes, is the closed captions are horrible. It, doesn't, mm-hmm.
2: it says shuttle in the closed caption?
1: I'll double check. It might not have, but hard to tell. In this case, it may have just been my ears. But every single closed caption is wrong. <laughs> huh. I almost have to turn it off just because I find it distracting yep. trying to figure out what people say. That's well, too so, bad. I don't know. But anyway, that makes more sense. But yeah, that was always the question is, okay. where's Apophis? So I was not surprised when I saw the second ship, yep. but it did seem like the show was going pretty far to try and hide it from <laughs> it me.
2: Really, it really was. It really was. Well, they try to hide the fact that they're on a ship Mm -hmm. at the beginning because there's no windows in that first chamber that they're in. There's no way out, which is weird. Now, have we ever seen, again, David, you're probably the the best one to answer. Like we've never seen those walls before, right? Particular setup in that room. Like that was completely new.
0: We've seen that sort of thing on clay or stone in old temples. Yep. But these were metallic lathes, sort of, with thin strips of metal with various symbols embossed or bar reliefed on them.
1: Like the cartouches we've seen or other things we have seen on other places, but this is the Baroque version of it, (laughs) or maybe even the Rococo version of it. This is all gold, all colorful, all rich. It almost feels more like the set dressing in Dune, and I really quite like it. But no, I don't think we've seen anything quite like it. Now, I did... Assume they were on a ship as soon as it started moving. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right. Yeah. I like those moments where like all of the all of the sort of earth humans were tossed wildly by the start and stop of the ship and then and everyone else is just sort of standing there. That's got a bit of comic timing.
0: Well the Jaffa are yeah. really well trained warriors with their special biology with the gold larvae in them. Yeah. So they're just better at keeping their balance. Yeah.
1: I really, really liked them being thrown around. It's the idea of the ships having inertial dampeners, kind of, but they don't work quite well. And unlike your average Star Trek throw people around a bridge, I really quite like the uh, the stopping and starting wave <laughs> that passes through and knocks them over. Yeah. I quite enjoy that in this episode.
2: Yeah. In terms of the plot, yeah, so they meet Corell, or they find out that Corel was there. And I think, that again, this I think this is the first time we've seen Skara as Corell since the premiere right
1: since they
0: since... went up the ramp yes mm-hmm. in the premiere yep. yeah
1: and definitely the first time we've heard the name it's yes. the
2: first time we've heard the name okay yeah because it was like wow what happened to him oh he's possessed but yeah now we get to see that he's possessed by quote unquote the son of apophis which you know there's a bit of squickiness about from the the team although it, it matches what we saw in hathor right so hathor we heard about the queen mother and queen mother is mentioned here mm-hmm. and and all that and then daniel helpfully explains what's going on For Jack, again, for the sake of of viewers who might not either remember much about the previous episodes or not have seen them or whatever, but going through it, there's a lot of wandering around
0: hallways. There is a lot. I wrote down corridors (laughs) with an exclamation point several times in my notes. But
1: they're so pretty corridors. I really like them. They're all shadows and edges and angles, and you can kind of tell when you're on the outside edge of the ship because they go off on a slight angle. <laughs> I really enjoyed the corridors in this episode.
2: They're glorious because they're they're exactly what you would need for a team to infiltrate the ship and run around in it without being detected. Yep. There's no motion sensors. There's no security cameras. There's all these alcoves right. where you can conveniently hide when these troops tramp by.
0: And the Jaffa are helpfully trained to just march and keep their eyes front without looking from side to side. And said,
2: so, I'd have to look at it, but like there's a tramping sound that if you were a little sick of that tramping sound in this episode, who boy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but the
2: tramping sound is being played, but they're just walking. I don't think the actors actually stomp. You know, they're not goose stepping the way they would need to be to make those sounds. But in any case, they conveniently make noise before they show up and they have alcoves where you can hide. It is amazingly bad security. It's hilariously bad security.
1: But this works though. This isn't Star Trek where they're being taken over once a week. (sighs) This is a universe where the gold have absolute power and no one's even tried to really confront them for thousands and thousands of years. So they're building these things and they're built to be palaces. They're not built to be secure. There's an arrogance to it and an excessiveness to it and both really i think work yeah and maybe it's a little extreme how far the team can just walk around and take the bridge multiple times (laughs) but (laughs) given the context i was just surprised that Chlorel didn't have a personal shield generator on it
2: oh right That,
1: that was the only thing that felt kind of maybe was missing right but otherwise the the security didn't really bother me that much
2: Again, I think it's hilarious. I think it's totally in keeping with the show. And I think the show wrote itself such an amazing get out of jail free card by saying the gold were uh, arrogant and, you know, heedless. Mm-hmm. And they just made it so that they could just write a whole bunch of silly stuff and just Oh no, it's consistent. And it is. And so, yeah, it's just funny. <laughs> oh, and the, the other thing was the whistling wind sound effect whenever they're <laughs> looking at the window. When the hyperspace is going on, like, it's not going to sound like wind, people. It's not wind.
0: That's just the noise that the shield generator makes. Oh, yeah, of course it is. I was fine with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, it's, it's funny. And kind of like, you know, Teslas have some kind of thing on them when they're backing up, even though they're silent.
2: They
1: don't want you accidentally bouncing into it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that Corel is um probably the best character moment of this episode, is the bits with um, – Corel and Scara and Jack, where Jack is trying to get through to Scara, and Corel is gloating. And there are a lot of really, really interesting lines where he's like, oh, he's too feeble to come forward.
0: Yeah, he does a lot of knife twisting on Jack. You know, he apparently sees Jack as a personal enemy by proxy because of his enmity with his sire, Apophis. And so he does a whole lot of smirking <laughs> and obviously trying to make Jack feel bad.
1: I really quite like that this show is very consistent, that the gold clearly always say, nothing of the host survives. Mm
0: -hmm. I think that must be a mantra they tell themselves.
1: It must be a mantra because it's a lie. Do they know that it's a lie or is it this mantra that they're saying? I think it's interesting how consistently the writers like using that line and it works really well that they just keep using it. I I quite liked uh, that consistency.
2: Well, this is Alexis Cruz is the actor. He does this and some other actors, they can play both their, their regular human character and their gold character really nicely. You don't kind of feel like it's Scar, play acting being the ghoul. No, it's a completely different character, even though it's the same actor. Yep. He does Arrogant really well. And he, of course, he also does Scar really well. So, you know, when they get the actors who can do that for both of those and then they have them play someone who's possessed by Gould, that's some nice stuff in the show.
1: Yeah, it works quite well. Though heavily manipulative, I would argue, in parts. Oh, sure.
2: Again, that that nice scene with with, uh, Jack and and Corell was nice. And then that other scene where Apophis says, go, you know, kill them. And Jack is saying, no, don't do it. And Corell finally says, uh, none A. And he says it in the Gula old voice, but of course it's something that we know is, is a Skara-ism. There aren't that many triumphant moments in this episode. There aren't that many wins because, of course, it's a cliffhanger. But that was a really nice moment where, like, no, he's really he's really in there. He really is able to control Chlorel to a degree. I really liked that moment. And then, of course, when it goes further and when you think, well, how much is Skara actually controlling Chlorell when they go up to the bridge and is still kind of not sneering quite yet, but then he brings them up and then he shows them. And, you know, and now you see your planet one last time before you die, before it's destroyed, something like that. I really like that sequence of how they did that because, again, it has nice little bits of suspense in it, nice little bits of character building. And again, kind of screwing with the main team, which is always fun, having them be in kind of a a state of being challenged and not quite being able to uh, to win just yet.
1: I think the show definitely wants us to think that Skara manipulates Chlorel into having them suffer longer.
2: Right. But he's not so in control that he's basically going to free them, right? Nope. Right. Just slight manipulation.
0: Right. Probably as much as he is capable of. Fair enough.
2: I thought it was kind of funny. Apophis introduces him as the mighty warrior Chlorel, and then he does absolutely nothing warrior-like throughout the rest of the episode. (laughs) Um,
1: Well, this is the thing. As long as you can grab their arm— they don't, can't really do very much to you.
2: He had the hand thing, right? He was going to kill Daniel with the hand thing.
1: He did. But we saw that being defeated by Teal'c earlier in the episode just by grabbing the arm. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And didn't have that be the solution at the end of this episode because they need this horribly gut-wrenching... Yeah. ...having to have O'Neill shoot him, which... I wouldn't have thought a single bullet probably would take out a gold.
0: (laughs) You would have thought he could shoot him in the leg or something.
1: Or something. Right? Right, yeah. This show really, we have to have uh, O'Neill have a knife to his soul by having to uh, shoot his uh, kind of next son as well. It's like, oh my. That's harsh.
2: <laughs> right. And then, you know, we had to endure like, you know, six months, nine months before we got the resolution to the whole thing when we watched it originally.
1: I'm assuming chlorel died there, but I don't know if I buy that he should have died there. But we'll all have to wait till the next episode to find out.
2: Were the episodes that you saw, did they have a reference to Showtime in them? Yes, that was amazing. Okay. Wow,
1: they're just breaking the fourth wall with these jokes, aren't they?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, they actually filmed two different versions of that moment, one where he said Showtime and one where he said something else, and they showed the other version of it in syndication. So I'm actually a little surprised that you saw it. So I guess they were taking the Showtime version of the episode for, you know, the iTunes version for the streaming version, which...
1: I thought the iTunes version is also the same as the DVD version, but I'm not entirely sure. Okay, with maybe a few changes. Yeah, I
0: saw the Amazon Prime version and... It had the line, think it gets showtime. Jack
2: quips. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that.
0: And by the way, I'm sad that <laughs> the show is going off prime and so I will have to watch yeah. inferior versions with weird ratios. <sighs> it's just irritating. I'll get my fix somehow. <laughs>
1: Blame Netflix.
0: <laughs> yep.
1: But is, is it on Netflix? This has happened since we started this show, which is Netflix now actually does have a version of it.
0: It happened this week, I think. Amazon Prime, the show, is leaving it on, uh, and I think all their Stargate shows. I don't know about the movie. I better watch the movie before, <laughs> before <laughs> yeah. Thursday because it is, it is leaving Amazon on uh, the 31st, if I understand. It might be the 30th. I'll have to check. But anyway, it's going to be gone. Real soon.
1: But it does mean that all the Netflix people may actually have a chance to rewatch the show, and we're conveniently doing recaps right in that window of time.
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's true. That's
2: true. So there are a couple of scenes in the SGC, right? They're not all that. Long or all that important, but uh, there is one scene with um, a soldier who uh, is actually Ferretti.
0: Right. From the first episode, it was pleasant to see the show remember him, and he wanted to go yep. take SG-2 and technically retrieve them, but he was clearly thinking of it as more of a rescue. They're just
2: backing them up, yeah. Uh, helping them in whatever whatever they want to do, yeah.
0: Right. Technically bringing them back for court-martial, but really just wanted to save them. There's a couple of scenes with,
2: with Hammond in it. Mm-hmm. I do like those scenes where they show that Hammond is on their side, right? but he will not actually go against rules for them. So if SC1 wants to go against the rules, and I think this is the first time, again, SC1 has sort of bent rules before, but this is the first time they're they're kind of breaking them. And again, Hammond won't be able to accompany them in those endeavors. He will not break the rules. He will bend them. He will fight against them, but he will not break them. And I thought that was uh, interesting to see that sort of displayed more fully.
1: I just remembered that there is a sarcophagus on the bridge. So there's really no reason they can't save Ascara there.
2: Anyway.
0: Oh, that's true.
2: Hmm. It's a different room. There's a, it's a sarcophagus room. But yes, bridge is the PelTech. Let me also say that I'm, I love it, how ridiculous it is that, you know, again, in the movie, it's an entirely different language that Guold is speaking. And in the show, everyone speaks English. But then they sprinkle it with these words that are like, you know, special old words, like bridge is something else. And, you know, Stargate is Chapa I. But they can't just say it like you would if you were actually bilingual. And they've got to make a big deal of saying, we're going to go to the PelTech, <laughs> you know, instead of just saying, we're going to go to the bridge.
1: I like Peltech as bridge. I thought, thought that was pretty funny.
2: It's great flavor, but it's just so ridiculous. It makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I also like,
1: basically, they always speak in the other languages for greetings. So they always basically say hello in the other languages and they say goodbye in the other language. So it sort of bookends all of the uh, communication. And it works. It's silly, but it works.
2: It is gloriously silly what they do.
1: I am actually a little worried about Hammond. At the beginning of the scene, the first thing he says basically is, I was one month away from retirement before we started the SGC. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, my God, <laughs> Hammond's going to die. But he hasn't died yet. <laughs> so we'll have to see what happens in the next episode. But that was a horrifying line. <laughs> know,
2: right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty funny. He mentioned retirement in the first episode as well, I think. Yeah. That he was he was brought back for this, but he wasn't expecting it to take long or something. So it's consistent with what he said earlier.
0: I do want to mention that Sam is amazingly arrogant to just make this wild guess with no justification that even if... This spaceship that I know nothing about, how about its drives or anything, even if it goes 10 times the speed of light, it'll take us a year to get home. (laughs) And they all just take that as the baseline assumption. And it's silly. She, you know, she should know better than to make an assumption like that on no basis. And okay, maybe Jack and Teal'c don't have any reason to question it, but Daniel at least should ask, what are you basing that assumption on?
1: They're trying to figure out how to get home, they can't use the Stargate because the Stargate in motion doesn't have a known location or a symbol for that location, so they're kind of screwed. And Teal'c was the one who said that their ships generally go about 10 times the speed of light. And it's true that Samantha would know roughly where in the galaxy the star is.
0: Okay, I missed that Teal'c had said that. Sorry.
1: He was just wrong because he also noted this is a new ship uh-huh. and it's clearly special that it has a stargate in it so it only would work if they happened to bring it back to the point of origin location. It's unclear to me if that needs to be in a gravity well. I didn't think so but it clearly would have to be in the right place to work.
0: Okay. Yeah, it makes a big difference that this is a new ship because my other question was if they have ships that can go from one star to another in a couple of days then why do they even need stargates at all? <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. I think Says the
1: name of the ship class at one point. He said the name of a ship class, but it wasn't the ship class they're in. A ship class. He was describing that this class ship goes the speed. Ah, okay. But he does not believe that this is exactly that class of ship that they're on. A lot of times in this episode, it is very clear that Tilk is not an (laughs) oversharer.
0: That was a weird little point about the Zach Natels.
1: Exactly. That's one of them. There's a lot of world building in this episode that is very strange, partially because Tilk just doesn't bother mentioning anything unless it actually comes up in conversation. And that's happened a lot in this
2: season. Mm -hmm. It happens a bunch of times. Yeah. Yeah. It's great.
0: It. Right, so just to go into that a little bit, because we'll see these things after this episode. The Zach Nikatels are little... Handguns. They're not quite handgun shapes, but they're a lot smaller than staff weapons. They uh, are less destructive than staff weapons. Teal'c tells them initially that one shot stuns with great pain, and the second shot kills. And we only find out later through a demonstration that, hey, if you do a third <laughs> shot... <laughs> yeah. (laughs) It disintegrates somebody. Jack had asked him how these things work, and he only said the first two points and left out the disintegration thing.
2: Right, and so Jack's reaction is is pretty priceless.
0: Right, he just renames it. We're calling them zat guns. <laughs>
2: <laughs> David, you had mentioned the the staff weapons were rather um, phallic. Boy, those zat guns are also really pretty penile. And to activate it, the thing like rises. Yeah, that's they were probably not going for that association.
0: It's like a cobra rising and raising its hood. Nothing to do with sexual metaphors.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's probably what they were going for, yeah. But I was like, wow, you have some connotations there. But yeah. This episode
1: has other things that feel very much more like maybe the pilot episode, which is, unlike what I was told earlier in this podcast, (laughs) we got to see more female Jaffa. And you can tell because they're dressed up like they're in a harem. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, that was in my notes that like, yeah.
0: I thought they were priestesses to go along with the priests.
2: They were definitely Jaffa. They had the pouches mm. <laughs> because you could see because they were mostly naked that their stomachs had the pouches and like, oh man, David's going to be mad. <laughs> There's still no female warrior Jaffa. No, no, this is still brutally gendered. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to put it. Yes. Sexism in uh, alien cultures. <laughs> we get to see a bunch of people who aren't just armored warrior jafons for one of the only times since the pilot. And um, it's still a very small gathering. Like for someone who's basically lord and ruler over presumably a fairly large domain, he's got like, what, 20 people there? But, you know, the SGC probably has more people like that in in like, you know, the shift on one floor. But, you know, they're all in these costumes. I think it's a two-parter. They get to stretch out scenes longer than they normally do. You know, I realized watching it again, like that scene where they're showing everybody in front of the communication device, you know, it takes a bunch more Maybe it's just seconds, but they really pan over the people in the crowd a lot more than they normally would. And it just feels like they're trying to establish things a little more than than they normally do because they've got more time.
0: I'd like to bring up one more line that I liked near the close of the episode when Sergeant Harriman tells Hammond that the Cairn deep space raider just picked up two large blips near Saturn. And Hammond says, I guess Dr. Jackson is lucky. He won't have to see his nightmare come true for a second time.
1: That's a good one. Good moment. Yep. Hopefully he has a better job talking to the president this time.
2: <laughs> well, it's also funny that, you know, like in these sorts of shows, they always get, and it's genre shows and also like um, murder mystery shows or like police procedural shows where that bit of information that gets you the next bit of the plot is somehow magically something that they pick out of the, the noise of all the information that these organizations get. Like they manage to get out the fact that there's these blips and within hours of them actually showing up when in fact scans of deep space are probably not that quick.
1: There was one line that I did think had absolutely no context, which was when Chlorel is talking to Apophis and he says, I assure you, father, there can be no
2: more. And I'm going,
0: <laughs> Oh, yeah. Why?
2: <laughs> they don't even know how the first two got in there. Like, he just doesn't even care that the first two got in there. They just discovered during the yeah.
1: Apophis is rightfully shocked.
0: Yeah, I like that Apophis's first comment is the most pertinent. He doesn't praise his son for capturing these guys. He asks how they got in, and Chlorel yeah. totally sidesteps.
1: <laughs> yep. Maybe that was supposed to be Scar's influence again. Maybe. That's that's pushing it, but maybe. Hmm.
2: Maybe. I think they they're actually pretty consistent in showing Chlorel as being pretty shallow and pretty kind of almost a lightweight, right? Like he's not the battle hardened Guaul that his, his, his father is. He's a kid. I'm willing to take it either way. The scene where they're going through the Stargate the first time in that sort of undercover gear. Like, we've never seen that gear before. Like, where do they get, like, black? The black ops gear. <laughs> black ops gear? Yeah. Where did they even get that? But that scene is also part of the credits, and I think that's one of the last things in the credits. You've now gone through all, most of the scenes in the first season one credits that have come from different shows. I think it's convenient that the, that the gate room in the ship isn't guarded. <laughs> Chulak gets a couple of guards. like oh. But the very important vessel that's being used to attack Earth is, no, no, we don't need guards.
1: As part of the problem that they had to arrive at exactly this point in time, yeah. as soon as that ship moves, the gate doesn't do anything. <laughs> yep. They were about to start moving. It was time to not bother having a guard on it. So the guards, yeah. That thin line for exactly when they decided to show up there. Very important.
2: Right. Well, then they got a chance to send the map back. Well, they used the map in the first place to verify that there was like a, a DHD there, I I guess. And it's just sort of funny, like in hindsight, I had not thought that they had enough time to send a MALP and to get telemetry back from it with all that, you know, counting down to the rest of the SGC breaking in for their security measures. But they did surprisingly smart for the show to do that much for it.
1: I did have the question of, does the SGC receive that MALP or did that MALP just blow up on the iris?
2: Didn't Hammond say at one point that you're going to send a MALP app just like SG- SG1 did? Yep, yep. I think that may have been the right line. Yeah. Maybe
1: the MLP itself has a code on it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah for remote iris deactivation.
0: Little built in transponder.
2: So again, they spent a little bit more time on the scenes in this episode. And one of the things they spent a little more time on was that first exploration of the of the gate room on the ship where they had that one panning shot of, I think it was a Neil with the night vision goggles Mm -hmm. on to seeing everything in shadow. And he saw Teal'c in shadow, like the silhouette of him standing there, you know, all stiff and proper with the, the staff weapon. Again, it was the show trying to, put a little bit more effort into making a bit more of a fancy uh, experience with the shots that they were taking for the show. And it it didn't take that long, but it was was kind of a nice little extra moment that I liked.
1: Well, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the next episode. I'm a little scared about the CGI and uh, budget the show has for pulling off Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. end of this,
2: but I'm sure I will enjoy it. So you might think... That really, really blurry CGI of the ship at the end. Oh, that, I'm sure that looked great in standard definition. Uh, let me tell you, it did not. <laughs> it looked bad then, too. They just did not have the budget to do this right. Oh, and then the ship design. I wanted to talk about the ship design, right? So it's a big flying pyramid. Of course it is. Right? Which I think is hysterical. It's a
0: pyramid strapped on top of a disc, which I have trouble understanding. Yeah. <laughs> It's amazing.
1: It's like a flying saucer landed halfway through a pyramid and then just took off with it. (laughs) I really quite like it as well. It is just so Stargate.
2: (laughs) You know, they took the the pyramid from the movie and then they said, well, but it doesn't quite look like a ship, does it? So we've got to add shippy stuff to it. (laughs) Oh, it's it's amazing. And I really wish they had been able to spend more money on better special effects, both maybe then and maybe, uh, you know, later. But... Yeah, it's pretty funny.
0: I guess the disc part is what lets it move from one system to another in a couple of days instead of just uh, 10 times FTL.
2: Ooh, ooh, yeah, that's the extra bit that, that Ra's ship didn't have. <laughs> <laughs> that wraps up all the, the episodes of season one. So we did it. Woo. <laughs> one tenth of the way there.
0: Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my.
2: oh, Oh, David, don't, don't, don't. Harsh our mellow like that. So yeah, so we're going to have another episode where we talk about season of the whole. And I believe uh, the plan is that we'll also talk about the movie then. So if you've been waiting for us to talk about the movie, we're going to do that then. Um, I think that's also going to be going to be fun. And I'm going to be approaching the movie mostly as a compare and contrast with the with the show. I, I don't necessarily expect us to, to spend the time on the movie the way we would for a standalone movie. But we're we're saying, hey, how is it different than the show? How is it the same as the show? What did they change? Why did they change it? What's really bad about the movie? <laughs> And what's pretty good.
1: (laughs) This will be the first time I've seen the movie after seeing a season of the show. So that's that's really what I'm looking for. Yep.
0: Okay. Well, I think that about does it for this episode of SG Fun. As always, I want to thank my two co-hosts, David and Andrew. Um,
2: Thank you. A lot of fun as always. Happy to be here.
0: Another fun and interesting discussion. If you, the listeners, would like to continue this discussion with us, you can find us on Twitter at...
2: Stargate underscore SG underscore fun.
0: We are on the Incomparable Members Slack, which is the show that hosts our little podcast. Um, And we'd be happy to talk about it more with any listeners. And I guess that's about going to do it for this time. Talk to you later.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.